Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fortress of Comic News, episode 281. I am one of your hosts, Chris, alongside my returning co-host, Mike. I'm here. I'm back. Got some stuff to talk about. Uh, we do have an interview today, so we get to talk with uh, Jeff uh, Zenilati about his book, Accidental Renegades. It's on Kickstarter right now, so go check it out. Um, I just wanted to, like... Show this off for a second, man. <laughs> okay. I know you got one too because you posted on Twitter. I'm holding up the uh, the cover for Fantastic Four Full Circle. Um, still don't understand why it wasn't published by Marvel, but I'm sure they're kicking themselves like in the foot or whatever for not publishing this. Uh, I went into a comic shop in a, uh, where I near where I grew up because I had to go home for uh, other reasons, but. I grabbed this off the shelf and the dude is like this. I just put two of these up and they're already gone this morning. And I was like, and it's going to keep happening when Alex Ross is on a book. Um, and then I opened the pages. My God, this art <laughs> is fantastic. It's like, it's Alex Ross's love letter to Jack Kirby. And that like makes for the most fantastic art. I was just reading this. Like I like every page. I was like, this is probably one of the best pages I've seen in comics. And then I flip a page and I'm like, my God, this is, the next page. Um, dude, I was getting like, if, if you would have asked me, like, have you ever seen Alex Ross draw like Liam Sharp or something like that? I'd been like, no. And then like you pull up that page in the negative zone and I'm like, what the hell? It has to be one of his best art art styles of all time. Uh, sorry. I just had to talk about that, but it's, yeah, we'll talk about it more later, but it's weird. Cause he does, but, he doesn't paint this one. Yeah. He and draws it. it's, I've seen his drawings before he paints and it's very similar, but like the coloring in this is just phenomenal. Yeah. And it's it, that, that goes without saying uh, it wasn't, it was not Alex Ross who colored it. Um, the colors were by Josh Johnson as well. So shout out to him because God damn, <laughs> um, it is a beautiful book. Uh, and I, just a little fun fact, it ties into my favorite fantastic four issue number 51 this man, this monster. So I, I was thinking of you the whole time I was reading it. <laughs> and I do. I was like, I was like loving it and like getting all like giddy. And then I'm like, I wonder if Chris is reading this. Like, ah, oh, shit. Like, yeah. He's going to be really happy. Uh, so p- for those of you who don't know, uh, fantastic four 51 is the first appearance of the negative zone, but it's also a really well-written issue about like the thing wondering, you know, what life is because he's the thing now. And this is like a direct, this is like, that's like issue one. And this is issue two. It was yeah. absolutely fantastic. Um, I just had to, I just had to talk. I had to get that off my chest. I have to get um, something off my chest. Okay. Go ahead. So go I'm going to bring the show down for a minute, but we uh, got to shout it out. Okay. Uh, former guest of the show and creator of the greatest uh, super villain of all time, Codpiece, Rachel Pollock. I don't know if people have followed this. If you're following us on social media, we've talked about it, but mm-hmm. was just um, hospitalized and was in the ICU. And uh, I forget exactly, but it was for a type of cancer. Um, and they're trying to raise money through GoFundMe. So I just want to say, because Rachel's just an amazing lady, um, she created, she's, part of the DNA of the show from the moment we discovered Codpiece and is also an amazing writer on top of all that. Um, I'm going to put the link to that GoFundMe in the show notes. So if anybody wants to go contribute and help out an amazing person and someone in the comic community, 
go check that out. Yeah, uh, and I want to say they needed fifteen thousand. They're up to over thirty four thousand uh, six hundred twenty seven donations. So thanks for everybody for donating. We've we've been you know shooting it out on Twitter. Uh, can I just say how like thankful and fortunate we were to talk to Rachel this year um, because it was something we had like you know put off, put off for a while, and then finally like got the chance to speak with her. And what an amazing person she was, uh, and you know such a great sense of humor uh, and approach to the whole writing comics thing. And um, yeah, you know, wishing her a, a speedy, healthy recovery. Um, I'm glad we've doubled the donation goal here. So um, yeah, and we don't talk about it on the show, but if you want to support her work, um, she has a new book on Comicsology actually through the Comicsology Originals called Neverending Party. Um. I'll just say, like, I read the first issue. It's not my thing, but it's it's mm-hmm. well written. The art's really fantastic. Um, so th- that might be a way to go support her too. Just be like, go, you know, buy a comic and enjoy it. Yep. So uh, with that, we might as well just jump in everything because we got a lot to talk about. It's been a while since we've seen each other. Been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> um, I was in Savannah, Georgia, just really quick. Um, uh, just a quick flex. No, I, this is a, a vacation. I haven't taken a vacation in a long time. Uh, I will say this about Savannah, Georgia, Georgia's comic shops. Are they really cool? I visited a couple. I'm not going to name any names, but these ones are like in the touristy area. Um, and like the, the day before, uh, uh, um, I can't think of his name now, but there was an Pat actor. Oswald. That just, yeah. Pat Oswald was at a Georgia comic shop. It wasn't walking distance to my hotel. So I didn't end up going to that one. Um, I went to a couple, which are really cool. Uh, the one is like half games, half comics, like a game, like a, uh, tabletop shop. Awesome. Really awesome. Uh, and the other one is like a lot of old school video games, like arcade machines, old school games, had a little Pokemon center with some Pokemon stuff and comics. But like, I think the main comics weren't the main focus of both shops. Um, and I was kind of disappointed when I, like, I reached out to both of them. I was like, Hey, do you have any local like writers and artists? you know, that I can buy their books and they really didn't have any like indie books, which is a little disappointing. Cause like Atlanta or not Atlanta, but Savannah has a art in like design school right in the city. So you figured like, there's gotta be some artists out there um, from Savannah. Uh, there's a pretty decent comic con that goes on in that area. Yeah. As well. So I was a little disappointed um, about that, but I, great shops. I mean, you'll have a lot of fun there if you check them out. I think one was called planet fun. And the other one is called like Odin and Sons. Awesome names. Uh, but I found this bookstore that had cats. And that's pretty much the reason we went in, you know, because these cats just live there. They're big, fat cats and they're adorable and they're just like laying on the books. And it's like this old renovated house. Um, and I can't think of the name right now, but they did have local artists and writers like pu- self published comics in there. So they get a win in my book. Um, and I, uh, in my book, but, uh, yeah, I, Savannah was great. There was a lot of cool, spooky stuff to do there, but, um, yeah, E, E Shaver booksellers was the name of it. Um, if you know, you want to pet some cute cats and see some awesome books. Yeah. Go there. Also, I mean, check out the comic shops too, but I was like more surprised to find <laughs> a local comic book in a bookstore than the comic shops. And I even like I walked up to one of the uh, the people working at the shop and I said, "Do you have any local writers and artists?" 
in the shop anywhere because it's a big shop. And they said, no, but that's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, (laughs) not a bad one. (laughs) Duh. And one of the shops, you know, I walked in and I'm walking around the books, looking at all the books for like 10 minutes and the shop owner or person working there is like talking to some people at the counter about like Marvel movies for like 10 minutes and didn't acknowledge me that I was in there. I mean, I don't like that with any shop I go into. So like to be ignored when you walk in a shop, but I'm obviously like looking for something doesn't help either. Um, but overall I think E shaver books is the winner. So check them out. Nice. Uh, TV shows, Chris. She-Hulk episode two and three. Oh boy, the uh, the Edge Lords are coming out in their masses for the sh- the twerking She-Hulk. Uh, I mean, it was gifts. stupid, but <laughs> yeah. But I think I don't think what people realize is it was put in there to trigger people. <laughs> I so, think mostly. Yeah. So first, I um, whoever that rapper was, um, I Megan had no Stallion. clue this person existed until that episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm also in my early 30s, so um, I'll say episode two was okay once again. I think the show has been okay throughout it. Episode three had like a few moments. Like I really liked um, the actual court scene with Abomination. Mm. Uh, I thought that was the strong point of the show. And that's kind of the problem with the show is that I don't think it's doing a good job of presenting me with characters that I enjoy. And the fact that like the least interesting thing about a court show is the most interesting thing about this show. Yeah. <laughs> is what's bugging me. But I'm going to keep watching it cause I'm a sucker. And, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the, the post credits and uh, episode two was really funny. Cause like they had this moment with, she hulk's family and then her dad like needed a bunch of stuff moved around the house so he had her like hulk out and like move the stuff for him that's funny um all yeah but all in all like this is this show is 100 at the bottom of my marvel tv list so far mm-hmm. and yeah like the twerking thing didn't i'm not like oh my god i can't believe she yeah, hulk twerked right. but it was right. just stupid yeah I will say, yeah, like, I'm not a, I mean, there's a huge, huge number of fans that listen to Meg, Meg the Stallion. I don't even know how to say the name. Um, but, yeah, I don't think this show was created for me. I, I have heard some good things, like, check it out, because some, some of it is enjoyable, so maybe I will. But um, There's moments yeah. throughout it where it, mm-hmm. it shines, but then yeah. everything in between. And then, you know, just some of the characters, like this dude that works for the DA office, like I just, I want him gone. He's not, (laughs) he's literally there as a punchline. He's not interesting. Um, I don't like him and that you're not supposed to like him, but right. Right. And he's just, he's worn on me over the, over time of the show where I'm just like, can you just not show up in the next episode, please? That'd be great. Um, Um, but all right. I have watched some hot D over the last few weeks. Uh, yeah. Whoa. Watch out, everybody. <laughs> Getting a little R-rated over here. Getting that uh, D. Yeah. House of the Dragon, the prequel to uh, Game of Thrones. I, in no sense, should be talking about this. My significant other should be. Uh, because she is... Every every time I, we bring it up, we talk lore about uh, Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings. 
that she knows links and bounds more than I do. While I do find it interesting, um, I haven't done all the research that she has, but I will say, uh, as a, as a plebe, <laughs> um, an uninitiated, I, so, you know, I'm one of the fans of Game of Thrones that, you know, the last couple seasons I was like, <clears throat> but, uh, to me, that doesn't ruin a show for me because I've seen that so many times with shows that I still love, like Lost is one of my favorite shows, but we won't talk about that last season. Um, I mean, there's so, I mean, you can name a, a list of, of shows that didn't finish strong. Uh, like I said, first couple of seasons of Flash are probably the best CW show seasons I've ever watched. Um, but yeah, it's uh, three episodes around. This is like 200 years before Daenerys. So just to give you a quick overview, uh, you know, uh, Khaleesi, the mother of dragons, her family used to have 10, 20 dragons. They used to be the strongest family in all the world, the realm. And over time, they there's a reason, like, some people in the family get jealous or get, like, kicked out of their rightful heir to the throne. And they have dragons. So what they start doing over time is fighting each other with the dragons. They kill each other's dragons. And now you only have, like, one or two left. That's what we see in Game of Thrones show. So that's kind of like, it's like the story of her family. Uh, and you know, Matt Smith plays a main character. I think he's killing it from uh, doctor who everybody, uh, he's doing a great job. His character is really cool. Um, we've gotten some other, like it, it's Matt Smith from Morbius actually. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I should have, I should have opened that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, more people would know that than Doctor Who. What was I thinking? Sorry. Yeah, was this fucking nerd show or something? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm an idiot. Uh, he kills it. I mean, the characters are great. Um, you could already see the wedges being put in between the families, and there's like some cool characters um, and stuff like that. I really recommend it, and I like it. And then I watched Rings of Power. To, to tell you the truth, I went into both these shows with really low expectations. I just wanted to enjoy them for fantasy shows. And I ended up really liking them more than I thought. Like, I, I really want to continue with these shows. Um, House of the Dragon is really good. Rings of Power, two episodes are out. Uh, I, was, I was so impressed with how they did it. Um, I mean, I, I'm not a huge, like, I don't know. I, I never read the Cimmerillion. I'm not a huge lore person in Lord of the Rings. I do enjoy the movies. Um. And I really like the show. Uh, it focuses on uh, uh, Galadriel, who we do see in The Fellowship of the Ring. This is thousands of years before. So this is uh, the Second Age. And I believe Lord of the Rings is the Third Age. I think it's like 2,000 years before Lord of the Rings. Um, when, <clears throat> when Sauron creates the rings and gives them to all the different factions of people, that's kind of where we are at. And we're just getting introduced to the characters. So, you know, we're starting to see some elves, uh, some dwarves and things like that. And I really like all the characters. I think it's, I think it's interesting. Um, I think there's a lot of cool things happening with the lore. There's some fights with monsters, some fight scenes that are really fucking cool. Um, and I'm going to stick with it. I, I was pleasantly surprised with it. And I know some people that are really heavy into the lore of Lord of the Rings and we're like nerding out on like the first age stuff that they show, you know? Um, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's good. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping Amazon can like, you know, keep it up. So I'll say, I've talked to some people about Lord uh, rings of power and I've heard really good things about it. So I might check that one out. Yeah. Um, I, it, it was, I'll check out house of dragon when we're like six seasons in and, 
people are telling me it's still good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm so burnt by that show and how I felt about it. Yeah. Um, but real quick, too, because I just finished another series. It's a little bit old, but it's this year. The third season came out, and I just fell in love with it. Um, the Orville. I'm oh, sure I've heard of that. you know about yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Um, phenomenal show. I think the first season, the first season, like, listen, it's Seth MacFarlane, he's, he tries to make too many jokes in on it. Like, he tries to get a little bit funny with it, but it's still like the first season's like a solid sci fi Star Trek y show. Mm-hmm. By the second season, he abandons a lot of the like in your face humor that he tries in the first season, just tries to do a show. But it mm-hmm. actually works in his favor because he built these characters who are more real than most okay. Star Trek stuff. And it's really well done. And then the third season, they got a buttload of money. So it's just <laughs> like everything from the CG on up has increased. Yeah. And it's out of this world. Like it's so, so good. I can't recommend it enough. I am. I'll have to check it out. I'm at this fa- point, like a diehard fan, like Mike, I finished season three mm-hmm. and I went on my uh, poll box app mm-hmm. to order through, uh, through my comic shop. And I ordered the library edition of the comics. Wow. That day. Like that's how into it. I got Damn. I highly recommend the show. Highly. Wow. Recommend. And it All take, right. I will. I will. Yeah. It tackles real issues and does it really well. It, seriously, everybody cool. go check this show out. I highly recommend it. It's on Netflix, right? It's on Disney Plus right now, actually. It's a, So the third Plus. season is actually a Hulu original. Oh, okay. So when it ended, um, it had a break, and now it's on Disney Plus. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, I'll talk about... I'm, I'm really out of sci-fi kick right now, too. Fantasy and sci-fi, man. I I've been missing out on that for a while. So let's uh let's talk about some of the news. And I, I watched Nope as well. So um, Netflix has decided to move forward to the fourth and final season of Umbrella Academy. I'm I'm happy they have a finale, like they're ending it. And I'm I could I could watch a fourth season. I think I think we deserve that. So uh, interested in seeing that. I could watch a fourth season. I was kind of yeah. hoping the third season was it. I don't I need like a fourth the- season. What? I don't need a fourth season for sure. Like, yeah, like I like the dire ending of the third season. Like how it's just yeah. we went through all of this and it was all because father was fucking with us the whole time. Yeah, like right. I love that. But mm-hmm. I'll watch a fourth season because I do love yeah. that show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with season four, of the boys beginning to film. We're getting some new casting news. It was announced last week that Jeffrey Dean Morgan will be joining the cast. We don't have any idea who he's going to play. Um, I'm wondering if we could just flip through the comics to find out. I should ask, uh, I should really tweet at Derek Robertson tonight and see what he thinks. Uh, <laughs> he probably already knows, honestly. Um, there's a, there's a character in Butcher's past. Um, I forget what yeah. volume it's in, but that was the guy that everybody wanted Jeffrey to play. I think it's the, it's the, I remember the title of the story arc was Butcher, Baker, Candlestick Maker. <laughs> yes. That's because, the one. Yeah, that's because I never forget. I was like, wow, that's a great plan where it's. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, I do remember that that uh, story arc. Yeah, so I, uh, I'll put my money on that because everybody yeah. wanted to play it. He's a great fit for it. So, yeah. Isn't that great? Like, you're just sitting around as Jeffrey Dean Morgan and people are like, you should play this thing. And he gets a phone call. They're like, everybody wants you to play this thing. He's like, all right, I'll do it. 
<laughs> it's just give me yeah. That's it, awesome. I love Jeffrey D. Morgan because like he would he would have been perfect as Thomas Wayne Batman. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll get it. I'm not holding mm-hmm. my breath on that one. But like everybody's like, he should play uh Negan. And then one day I wake up and it's like Jeffrey D. Morgan's playing Negan. Yeah. <laughs> and now this and yeah. The comedian too. I mean, he yeah, killed the comedian. Him I always yeah. forget he was a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that guy that guy's awesome. Uh some more news about the uh turmoil at Warner and Discovery. Um after a deal was struck with Matt Reeves for first look deal it seems the director's batman sequel and hbo max spinoffs are safe for now uh the penguin show is still on while the arkham asylum show is still in conversation also the batman the animated series batman the caped crusader from bruce tim and jj abrams is likely not to move forward to hbo max but there's talks of other streaming services bidding on the show and they should because hbo you're a dumbass for not picking this show up so uh, yeah, to put the bow on that, I think the funniest possible move is if Disney was like, yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They got the money. Holy shit. Could you imagine? I, if I was Disney, because, like, whatever, you, you, like, they wipe their asses with $1,000 bills. Yeah. Um, I would do, I would overpay for it just for the troll. Yeah. Because then you make it, you make Warner look like the biggest pieces of shit in the place, especially oh, if it's yeah. good. Oh, yeah. It's going to be good. Come on. Yeah, it's still in um, the works. <laughs> as far as the Batman movie, like I'll be interested to see. Um, what, uh, it's the next thing up, but like they might have found their Kevin Feige and everything. It would be yeah. interesting if the Batman is their Iron Man one. Yeah, it would be. And I also saw some more stuff that like Matt Reeves, they're letting him do whatever he wants because they're like, we understand like his vision and how like talented this dude is. They're like, look at Planet of the Apes. <laughs> um, and he's kind of just getting to do whatever he wants. And I think that that's a that's a good start. Um, and like you said, yeah, that being the like base one movie. Yeah, why not? Like that, that's a solid base one movie. And like that Batman could a Pattinson's still young, so he could be around for a 10 year plan. Yeah. Um, and that Batman could be kind of the the birth of us going into this DC universe. Like I could see that. Although, so. although that Ben Affleck is back for some reason, um, that, uh, uh, Jason Momoa said in an interview, he's like, yes, Ben's back, blah, blah, blah. It's, it, I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? <laughs> it's, it's a mess right now. Don't get me yeah, wrong. But it's a crazy mess. Yeah. They're still kind of quote unquote, finding their guy. So the guy has to come in, and then make the 10 year plan. Like, right. It's right. not like Disney didn't say we have a 10 year plan. Foggy do this. Like Foggy yeah. pitched the 10 year plan. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, he's here for now, but it looks like Warner's found their Kevin Feige and Dan Lin is supposed to be the person taking over. He's best known for his work with the Lego movie franchise, which is a huge hit. And the newest Godzilla King Kong movie franchise, I would say is a big hit. Um, yeah, but that's not to be said without delays coming for uh, to the DC movies. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom now will be hitting theaters December 25th, 2023. And Shazam will be hitting theaters. Uh, Shazam 2, Fury of the Gods, will be hitting this theaters March 17th, 2023. Uh, interesting. So I think I think Dan Lin's a good choice starting there. 
Yeah. Um, he has the produce. He's more of a producer, but he has worked in other roles as well. So he's good on all fronts. And once again, Kevin Foggy's a producer. Like mm-hmm. that's what he does. The the delays are weird. Um, because yeah. what I'm hearing is the only reason. I think it's Aquaman was the first one that was supposed to come out. Mm-hmm. Am I right on that? I think so. Yeah. Um, the only reason I heard it's being delayed is because it doesn't want to go against Avatar. Yeah. Um, I mean, I might be way off base here, but I just, I don't feel like anybody gives a fuck about Avatar 2. Like, am I wrong in this? Do you, are I you seeing know. the I, hype? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to see it, but I don't, I think, I think the Avatar people are going to realize, oh, well, that's, that's a question though. Who's, is it WB producing Avatar? Because that would make sense why they want to separate the two. No, it's Disney. Disney oh, owns Avatar Disney? now. Yeah. Oh, then I don't know. I mean, maybe it's going to be a hit. Maybe, dude. Maybe we'll be wrong. Maybe people are going to come out in droves to see this movie. I just don't see it. I, everyone I talk to is not excited. Maybe the normies, uh, not to be disparaging, but maybe the normies are all about it. But I still feel like that first movie was, it was only a big deal because of the technology at the time, like yeah, and nobody cares right. about that technology anymore. Right. It's kind of like it's almost like Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the new Jurassic Park movies are making a billion dollars still, so who knows, dude? I don't know. Uh, but that's even... I hear people excited about new Jurassic Park movies. Like, Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I hear I people hear at work else. like, yeah. oh yeah, I can't wait to go see Jurassic, or Jurassic World, whatever the fuck it's yeah. called. I, nobody I know. No, no, I, the people that work under me, the people that work alongside me, my friends, my family, nobody talks about Avatar. I, yeah. uh, so, I don't know. I don't see it's this funny because when it deal. came out, I know people that it's saw it twenty times at the theater. Um, I, I saw it in IMAX. It was incredible at the time. It blew me yeah. away. Like well, this is possible, but like yeah. then you buy the DVD at home, and that's the and way I like, watched it. Oh, like okay, it's an okay movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess we'll see. I don't know, um, but Aquaman's certainly scared of it. I don't know if it's that people won't like people are still going to see the movie regardless. Like there's still people to show up to opening nights of movies. And I think DC just doesn't want to lose that chunk of their w- possible $1 billion. Cause I think the last Aquaman made a billion, you know, I, they want that headline. I think Aquaman two would wipe the floor with it, but yeah, I understand being risk averse in how they are right now. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think the Avatar. I mean, it might benefit from being a Christmas movie now because it's the only thing, <laughs> right? But I could see Avatar being just like Buzz Lightyear, where nobody cares, and then they all wait for the Disney Plus version. Yeah, although I do think they'll make more money on Christmas with this movie. Yeah, it'll do from better just for that reason because everybody it's Christmas, home. people want to come yeah. home or go watch a movie. I'm probably gonna go with my families. <laughs> uh. And before we get to the interview, I did watch Nope last night because it's out for rent. Uh, I think out of the three, um, the three horror movies that um, Jordan Peele has done, this might be my favorite. And it's not really a horror movie; it's more suspense. Um, I don't want to reveal too much because a lot that's get that gets revealed. If I had to say, like this movie, I mean, it reminds me of a lot of awesome movies and like suspense and horror. And there's like things that relate it to like Jaws where like, you know, the monster's not revealed for a while and then like it gets revealed and it's like, oh shit, you know, now we got to take it down. 
Um, I think all the actors performed ex- exceptionally. Uh, I forgot Steven Yen was in it from Walking Dead. He plays a oh, really? character. Yeah, and his character arc is so strange and, and interesting. Um, and there's a scene that is like horror, like that's shot completely horror. Like you don't know what you're seeing and it ends up not being what it is. But uh, Jordan Peele definitely understands it. And his, his best thing in his movies is making you uncomfortable. So there's things like you'll be in a scene and he'll focus on a scene. And it's either like a conversation or like something that just seems off about like how the scene is set up. And it just makes you squeamish or uncomfortable. He's really good at doing that. Um, and I greatly enjoyed it. And also there's a, there's a, uh, <laughs> a, like a, just a quick clip or like a scene that is a reference or a tribute to Akira, the anime, um, the movie, which is a pretty awesome sci-fi uh, anime movie. If people have never watched it, it's a classic, but there's a tribute to that. And like one of the scenes and I was like, I would never would have thought I would have saw that in this movie. <laughs> Um, so it's pretty sick. I recommend it. Um, I didn't care for us. I really liked get out, but I think I like Nope the best, uh, for sure. Cool. Um, yeah. And with that, let's, uh, let's jump over to our interview with Jeff and, uh, talk about accidental renegades and we'll see everybody on the other side. All right, everybody, we got another very special guest for you all. I want everybody to welcome to the show, Jeff Zenaladi. Welcome, Jeff. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great. Yeah, and I'm I'm so I'm so happy Chris got the last name right because he has <laughs> messed up simpler names, but almost three hundred episodes now. We're on to it, Chris. You did it. <laughs> uh, I'm getting better um, every episode. Yeah. Takes practice. Uh thanks for being here, Jeff. And uh we're gonna talk about accidental renegades for sure. Um but we got to get into your origin story because it is your first time. So you have to go through the gauntlet. Sure, um, sure. And so give us the rundown, you know, how, how you got into writing comics. Were you always a comic book fan? That sort of stuff. Okay. Well, first off, thanks for having me on the show. Actually, uh, a yeah. subscriber, big fan. So, you oh, know, happy, wow. happy to be a part of, uh, you know, watching and happy to be a part of it. So kind of one of those uh, long-time that. That, first That feels time really things. good. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, no, that. No, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Wow. But, um, you know, my story, it, it's probably similar to a lot of people I've been a comic fan for most of my my life more or less for as long as i can really remember I remember being a little kid being homesick my father coming home with a couple comic books back then that he probably picked up from like a, a spinner rack at the train station you know gave them to me to read you know and i kind of got me hooked um been reading comics my whole life kind of took a break in you know the college years when i was you know interested in things besides comics and then kind of got back into it. I've always wanted to create my own comic book and I've always kind of made excuses for why I was never ready. You know, and I, I did that thing that a lot of creative people do where you talk yourself out of starting something. Um, and I became really, really good at that. You know, I was never, I'm not good enough. There's not enough time. I don't have the right tools. Um, you know, the, the kids are too young. The kids are too old. You know, whatever the excuse was that <laughs> yeah. week. Um, yeah. And then 2020 happened, pandemic, everyone was on lockdown and you know, I did again what a lot of people probably did, which is, you know, argue with strangers on the internet. And after a while, I realized that that's counterproductive to, to anything good. And, and rather than waste my emotional energy in that, I decided that every time that I got frustrated with what was going on around me, I was going to invest that time into creating something. And there was a lot that frustrated me. So I had a lot of time to create. And at, um, for comic, free comic book day 2021, I was able to get a, a one shot in some local comic book stores here, was able to get it done on time, get it to the printers, get it back in, and get it out on the rack. So once wow. I did that, I knew that this was something that I could do. It gave me a, a ton of confidence. And even though 
the work definitely in some places probably left some something to be desired. It was a proof on principle that I could do it. So I kind of took that and, and transitioned to the new idea, which is the Accidental Renegades, which is an ongoing story that I've had percolating for years and just you know started the Kickstarter. It's over in about a week. And it's just been a, a great opportunity to take things that I've been passionate about my entire life and, and put them into something from my own hands that I can, I can say I did. Wow. Um, so it, you, you like from start to finish, you got the, your first book out in like a year. So, I mean, you were right. You scripted it. And d- how'd you find someone to draw it that quickly? You knew somebody or. Oh no, it was me. I did. I did. Oh, it you drew it I did it oh, and, wow. and, and wow. in fairness, it probably was a little bit less than a year just because I, I, you know, dragged my feet for much longer than I probably should have. Um, oh, okay. But I kind of set a mark on the wall and it was something I'd always been interested in. I've, you know, been part of as a customer, free comic book day for yeah, you know, right. many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually went to my local comic shop that I've known, you know, the guy for, for many, many years. And we talked about it a little bit. He gave me some pointers and some advice on how to get it out in the stores more um, successfully, how to talk to some of the shop owners more successfully. Um, took that and, and basically set a deadline. And, and the thing that I really kind of learned about that, that was fascinating is if you do a, a crowdfunding on a comic book, you kind of have some, some flexibility in when you want to be able to provide that to the, to the, the backers. And you can kind of extend it a little bit and, and give yourself plenty of, of free time to do that. But when you're getting into a store on a deadline date that you can't deviate from even by you know a, a day, it really kind of forces you to stay on schedule. And, and it didn't matter if the book was the greatest comic book that anyone had ever seen. If I didn't get it back from the printers, I, you know, if I got back from the printers a day after Free Comic Book Day, it wouldn't have mattered because no one was going to be able to see it. So that really forced me into the discipline, into the scheduling, into staying on track. And I think for a lot of people, that's the hardest part. So doing that gave me a ton of confidence that this is something I can do. I can stay on schedule. I can produce work on time. And like I said, everyone I think looks back and says, I'd like to have this panel back and I'd like to maybe reword this this you know page of dialogue. But for the most part, getting the thing done on time to a relatively high standard was was the goal and being able to do that was was pretty huge for me, especially on the first try. Wow. Yeah. I think that's a that's, that's a pretty amazing feat. Um and and you mentioned comic book shop. Are you're in New York City, right? Long Island, but yeah, not too far Long, from okay. New York City. So it was it was a shop that wasn't Midtown Comics. <laughs> no, in fact, that's... I've been to I've been to Midtown Comics, um, and I'm going to be straight up like that's the kind of store you got to go into with a plan. Like you just can't yeah. go into Midtown Comics to browse. There's right. just too much there, you know. And, a lot and of stuff, yeah. there's a yeah, there's a couple stores around, especially on Long Island. There's a couple I've gone to that are amazing shops, but they're so big and so expansive that if you don't go in with an idea of what you want to get, it's really easy to lose track of, of everything going on. And Midtown Comics was awesome. I mean, I love going there and I've only been there a couple of times, but I love going there. Um, but that's the kind of store, like if you don't have a pull list, you're either walk out with nothing or you're going to walk out with like having to take out a loan for what you buy. Right, right, so, exactly. Know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so let's talk Accidental Renegades. Uh, this is your Kickstarter. So you, I mean, you said it's a lot It's a lot easier now that you don't really have a deadline. I mean, somewhat of a deadline, right? But uh, this time it's probably less stress doing this book, would you say, going into this? I think it's, it's less... So yes and no, right? So the... The free comic book day one was a lot of stress because it was the first one. But at the same time, it wasn't really like I had promised something to anyone. It was like, hey, you know, you grab some books and, you know, grab this one too if you, if you can. And, you know, I know a lot of the comic shops kind of pinned it as, you know, local artist, local creator. So it kind of made it a little bit more popular for people to, to pull down. 
but there really wasn't necessarily a ton of pressure with the the Kickstarter. I think it's a little bit different. You definitely have more time to do it and do it well. But now backers that I know by name are giving me money to produce something that's worth their money, right? So now it's like, all right, shit, like this is real. Like a free comic book day comic is is awesome. I'll, I'll you know never look down my nose at what I was able to do with that. But it was a free comic book day, so it's like if you don't like it, screw you. It's literally a free comic book. Like if you don't like it, throw it out. This is you know depending on the tier, some people are paying, you know, 15, 35, $50 for a comic book. And then I think it adds a whole nother layer of pressure because now it's my name, it's my reputation, it's my brand. It's all that sort of thing on people that are, are literally reaching into their pockets as opposed to free comic book day, which is that one looks cool. I'll throw it in my bag and I'll, I'll take it home and look at it. So yeah, definitely a different type of pressure, but not less pressure, but not more pressure, but not less pressure. Um. Yeah, I guess I didn't. I didn't see it as that way. Yeah, a free comic book day one shot as opposed to you know I paid money for this. I'm a little more invested. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, so you're you're drawing this yourself. You did all of everything for this book yourself. Um, I know right now you're focused on the one, but like, how how quickly are you getting new issues done? Like, have you already gone into issue two and three? And uh, yeah. Um, issue two has already been pretty much scripted. Issue three has already been kind of plotted. Um, issue three, well, I think will change a little bit as I really start to tighten down on issue two. My goal is to try to do one book a quarter. I think that's a fair goal for an independent creator who's got a day job and a family. Um, I teach, so it kind of gives me the luxury of having a little bit more time in the summer, which is great. You know, if I take advantage of, I can get a lot done in the summer as far as getting ahead and then kind of chip away at the books at night during the week, you know, during the school year. So my intent is to make this about a quarterly thing, kickstart every quarter, have a book every quarter, so that over time it should be able to collect into a probably about a, a 9 to 12 issue run, which I think we'll get through most of the first part. I, I'm looking at this probably going five arcs total, um, and that will probably be about a couple years down the road till, till it ends. But one thing that when I kind of refer to it as like an anime-inspired, or I'm sorry, manga-inspired book is it's that's partially due to the, the art style and the energy that that manga has but it's also kind of due to the fact that what i like about manga is it, it's 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 finite right it has a definitive endpoint. it could be many many years out there but most of the manga creators know that this story is going to end at a certain point and when something happens that's pretty much the end of the story as they want to tell it then they move on to their next one so i've kind of adopted that mentality of this is not going to be batman that runs for 50 years because i'll be you know dead and buried by then but you know, this is something that has a an end and it has a story that has a beginning, it has a middle, it concludes, and that's the story I'm looking to tell with this. Mm. Um, yeah, and I looking at the art, I would say yeah, more uh, manga influence. And is that is that just how your art style developed as you were drawing and stuff? Yeah, I think like most artists, I, I cribbed off of the people I, I liked growing up, and those people from an artistic standpoint. When I first got into it, were people like Art Adams. Um, Mark Silvestri, a little bit older, it was Joe Madiera, Chris Batchelow, Roberto Ramos. All these artists had a very definitive style. And in some cases, especially in the case of like Roberto Ramos and, and Joe Mad and, and Chris Batchelow, their style was almost hyper stylized and, and that turned off a lot of people, but I really liked it. I liked the way they mess with anatomy and they mess with character design. I kind of like that. And I think that kind of led to the natural progression to being a fan of manga, which I really only kind of got into over the past handful of years. But manga takes a lot of risks that Western comics are starting to take now, but I think we're a little bit behind on as far as not just the the way they design characters, the way they design action, but the stories they're willing to tell. And if you kind of take a real deep dive into into manga, I'm you know I'm not sure 
how much everyone you know knows about. I'm certainly not like a doctorate of manga, but the the cultural acceptance of manga in Japan is much different than the cultural acceptance of comics in, in Western cultures in America. So because they have that that appreciation as part of their culture, I feel like they're more willing to and more rewarded for taking risks. So now you have manga that some of the top selling manga are about, you know, volleyball and cooking and ice skating and, you know, those sorts of things that while there are plenty of independent comics that cover those, they don't necessarily have the mass appeal that manga does. Having that, I think, allows them to be like, you know what? Let's just take the brakes off. Let's let's make Chainsaw Man. Let's have a dude with a chainsaw for a head. Because you know what? We're in Japan, man, and they're going to love it. Let's do it. So right. like, that's the energy and the, the irreverence is what I, I try to capture a little bit when I say manga inspired is, you know, I'm not, I'm not a manga. I'm not trying to do manga, but I'm trying to capture what I love about manga and try to put it into my work as much as I can. Yeah, I've been reading recently, like, my favorite one has been that Delicious in Dungeon, which is, like, a weird, like, D&D thing, but it's also a cooking manga. Right, yeah. Like, there's nothing like it in American comics. But uh, I was going to say, just to wrap up the art uh, talk, like, the thing I loved when I was looking over it is, yeah, there's that manga inspiration, but there's also, like, a Saturday morning cartoon inspiration in there. I can see the Americanization of it with like some of the crackle you got going on and just how the characters are designed and everything. And that's what I love about it is there's still an Americana to it. Yeah. Right. I, I definitely one as, as my art style and like everyone else, I think over time it develops and it gets refined and everything like that. Um, I've definitely with this book more so than with the free comic book day, I've really kind of delved into the shape language and understanding how to make the characters a little bit more visually unique. You know, um, Having characters that can be recognized by their silhouette, you know, having characters that based around the three major shapes of the circle, the square and the triangle, so that they're, they're a little bit more angular or curved or boxy, depending on the personality, so that if you just put silhouettes of the team up alongside each other, you can kind of figure out who's who. Um, and I think that simplification kind of lends itself to more of like an animation style, where if you have to draw these things over and over again, it's easy to define it by shapes, because it's easier for the animators to draw that. That's not to say that there's not details in it, because... You know, I've been working on a page today that was almost entirely detailed and it's driving me crazy, but it's detail that's based around very, very basic shapes. And I, I kind of feel like that because the shapes are, are what drives the character, it allows the character to be more fluid and a little bit more of that, that energy. I'm always trying to do that. Um, and I feel like it's something I'm starting to get the hang of now after many, many years is to translate the energy of movement into the, into the, you know, the two dimensional page. And I also want to say like, one thing that I don't think a lot of people look at and, you know, as Mike and I do this more and more, I, I get more nerdy about things, but the backgrounds, um, there's this one shot you have kind of the city with um, not quite sure what they are. They look like floating brains almost. I'm sure it's explained in the story, but the city is like, it, it looks like a black and white photo almost. And in terms of the detail that's put into every inch of it, like, the skyscrapers and with every little window and everything. And that's something I think a lot of artists just overlook that is so awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely time consuming. Um, I work digitally and that kind of helps out with as far as, you know, creating perspective grids and lines and, and everything else that when you do it traditionally, it is a bear to do. Um, and it's also something that I enjoy it, but really more of it's almost kind of like meditative because it's just a lot of angular lines and things like that. One thing, especially with the, with the backgrounds that I'm trying to kind of incorporate more is to have the backgrounds force the perspective of the characters. Um, 
and again, digitally, it's really easy. You know, you put the background down, and you warp it a little bit, and you may, you know add a fisheye lens effect, so that now the background is is more of an extreme background. Um, because I feel like it just creates more energy. And then if the characters are warped a little bit to fit that background without really messing with the anatomy, it adds like a whole nother level of, of stylization to it. Um, I kind of messed around with that in previous work. And now I'm starting to understand a little bit more and, and taking a little bit more chances, which again, I think is, is a testament to, to working digitally. And I, I was against it for a while until I started doing it. I've always been the person that, you know, you sit down with that blank sheet of paper, especially if it's Bristol, right? It's expensive. It's high quality paper. It's really, really nice. And that first line is always the scariest thing. Like, I don't want to put it down. Am I ready? Is it, is it this, is that going to be with digital? If you screw it up, you just erase it and you hit a, literally hit a button and erases and you're fine. So I feel digitally, you're able to take bigger chances because if it doesn't work, who cares? Like I'm not erasing, I'm not ruining the page. I'm just literally hitting the back arrow and, and it's gone. So I think being able to say, even if like I were to spend hours working on a background, I would be probably reluctant if it was traditional to try to mess with that because of the amount of investment that I put into it. But digitally, I'll mess around with it. If it doesn't work, just undo it. But you're able to take some some really cool effects and put them into it that I, I say over and over again, as a writer and as an artist, everything in the book needs to be in service to the story. And if it doesn't serve the story, no matter how cool it is, it's got to go. And as long as it's doing that, like and it, the chances... That, that are taken work out to serve the story, then it's a huge benefit. And, and it, as a guy, again, with a day job and a family, I don't have time to waste. So anything that can take the burden of time away from me, I am, you know, a huge fan of. And I, I was definitely shitting on digital com or digital creations before until I started doing it. And I realized how you can do amazing things and still have your own style, right? right I was like, oh, right. digital. The, you know, I was one of those guys that well, if you work digitally, it just means the computer is doing the work. It's like, no, literally, no. The computer, you're just literally doing the work on a computer. That's the whole difference. Yeah. A writer who types on a laptop isn't any less of a writer than a person who handwrites it. Like, And that's a ridiculous, uh, for me to even think that, I'm embarrassed that I had that thought because what kind of a snob am I to, to think that someone working digitally is somehow less of an artist than someone working traditionally? It's, it literally doesn't make any sense. It, it, it makes no sense. And um you know, and I was I am, wrong. I was completely wrong in that opinion. I am glad that you do have a digital reward tier because I've talked to some creators about this. And uh, me personally, I've gone almost all digital except for a few things here and there that I can't get. But um, when I look at a Kickstarter, because I do back so many, <laughs> I'm like, if there isn't a digital reward, I'm usually not going to get in it. So <laughs> I'm yeah. glad you do have one here for me. To, uh, yeah, to, to me, I mean, digital rewards like should be almost automatic, right? Like, right. It's going to be, you're going to have the file anyways, right? You're going to have the file anyway. And it literally costs you nothing to email it to a person like a digital reward. I mean, I don't want to say it's, it's printing money because it's not quite printing money because you're right. still doing a ton of work. But mm -hmm. like if the biggest financial drain on a crowdfunding campaign is the shipping costs almost is, and the supplies, the supplies to ship and the shipping costs are almost always the most unpredictable fee. Mm -hmm. Digital, you know, Digital, it literally doesn't cost me anything to attach an email and attach a link and send it. That's like that's easy, you know. If yeah, right. I don't know. I don't right. know why you wouldn't order a offer a digital campaign. Or yeah, I think it's. Um, it, it makes no sense to me. We go back to the comic snob. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, like, yeah. I guess there's. That, I was you know, there. I've, I honestly. Was I'm, there I'm too. parochial about. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I see. until I until I got put in a situation where I was like, okay, don't have enough room for comics. And I'm not yeah. getting rid of the ones I have to make room for new comics. So it's like, I got to go all digital. You know? Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good point too. Yeah.
Um, sorry. So, so, right yeah, now, um, as we're uh, recording this, you have successfully funded the campaign. So yes, yeah. Um, we're looking at a everybody that jumps on board, and hopefully, plenty of you will. Uh, it's a funded campaign, so you're going to get your book. But we also got stretch goals that you're looking at, and I see like improving the cover stock for the physical backers, um, adding stickers. Um, but right now you're trying to get to the trading card phase of it. Um, yeah. So good news is obviously the book's funded. It's about 169% funded right now, which is awesome. Uh, first campaign. So that's a ton of stress off my back. Allows me to just focus on the creating of it. Uh, the first stretch goal has been passed. So it's going to be a higher quality print and a foil cover. So for those who, you know, are children of the eighties and nineties, they get that cool foil cover, which I always wanted to do. And then the second stretch goal are stickers uh, based on the characters and, and the, you know, the Excellent Renegades characters and the Zed comic brand, which will be included. The third stretch goal is a little bit out there. It's about $900 away, still attainable, but, you know, a bit of a, a stretch on that stretch goal. And those will be um, unique individual trading cards. I've always loved trading cards, never collected them as much as I probably should have, but I've always loved them. And this is a group book with a lot of characters with a lot of cool designs and cool powers. So trading cards seem like a natural um, kind of relationship between the designs, the individuals, and the opportunity to offer something to the backers. Definitely. Um, and we haven't even talked about the story yet, guys. Uh, so you got to give us the rundown. We got so excited about like uh, the art <laughs> and shit like that. We didn't even talk about the story. So we do have the writer here too. Is he's doing both? So uh, give us the what is what is the accidental renegades? Who are the accidental All right. renegades? So accidental renegades. It's a thirty-six page manga-inspired comic book about bumbling, super-powered mercenaries who unintentionally ignite a global revolution. It kind of asks the question of how do you stay out of the public eye when you unwittingly become the most notorious people on the planet? One thing that I did when I was designing this this idea was I took the, the traditional superhero trope, uh, whether it's from Western comics or like, you know, shonen manga, where in most cases the hero wants to be a hero. You know, they embrace their heroism. It's something they seek out. It's their goal. And, in, you know, in manga, in some cases, it's literally their their reason. It's their, their MacGuffin. It's what drives them as part of their plot. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to take characters who never wanted to be heroes, who never wanted to have power, who kind of had that, you know, foisted upon them, and now they have to respond to it. I think a lot of readers can relate to the fact that sometimes you're given responsibility for whatever reason above your level, and you just have to rise to that level, whether it's family, work, you know, some tragedy hits, you got to grow up real fast, and you kind of have to, uh, you know, put yourself into that box that someone else has set up for you. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, it's a little bit of a, of a PG-13 story, so not every character is going to respond in the same way. It's kind of a, a long-running idea, so not every character is going to make it to the end. And it's a great opportunity to kind of talk about a lot of the things that, that you see kind of impacting a, a lot of people. You know, Each character kind of has a diverse way of looking at the problem, and I think any reader can find themselves in, in at least one of the characters. So an idea to take something that a lot of people are used to, put my own individual spin on it, and make something that is fun, funny, a little bit violent, and like I said, a, a little bit over the top without being over the line. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a cool approach. Um, as yeah, like you said, as opposed to a hero that just wants you know wants to always help people and be burdened by that. And um, do you have a? I know you have like a, a team of what like four heroes here. Um, which one is the one with like the red cloak? 
Well, the right cloak. I don't want to get too much into that character. Okay. That character. Okay. I, it's okay. No, it's fine. It's fine. But that character gets introduced towards the end of the first issue, um, and that that character kind of has an important role in proje- you know, progressing the story forward. Um, okay. So yeah, I don't want to give away, and that's why even in the Kickstarter, there's not. I see mysterious really, companion. Uh, yeah, about that yeah. character because that character becomes very very important to the story. And if I give away too much right now, I feel like it'll it'll kind of dilute okay. from that. So yeah. No, I got you. It was like that was the one I was like, oh, that one's pretty sick. And then I was reading the descriptions. I'm like, wait, there's no description. Now yeah. I know it's yeah. Pretty. There's a reason for that, everybody. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like like that's one of those characters that was was. The power set, I think, is really unique, you know, kind of cool, um, one that you don't see an awful lot of. But I was kind of thinking, like, this is the kind of character, like, every team needs someone with this ability because, like, it would really make things a lot easier for a lot of people. So it, I think as you kind of start to get to know that character a little bit, I think it's going to be pretty interesting what they're able to do. Um, and, and it seems like you have a, an abundance of villains showing up for the first issue, too. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. I think that you know I love. I've always loved. I think a lot of people do. I've always loved you know a good rogues gallery, like a, a, a bunch of really cool, really unique characters. You know, Spider Man, Flash, Batman. You know, you can have that argument. Who's got the coolest rogues gallery? I wanted right. this team to have a pretty cool rogues gallery of you know goons, but also some really formidable villains, some people who are very powerful, some people who are who are very vicious. Um, you know, there's many different types of villains and I want to kind of wrap, you know, them all up. And of course there's like in any book, there's someone who's kind of behind the scenes, pulling the strings and you'll kind of meet that character a little bit in the first issue. But again, they kind of start to become more and more prevalent as the, the team starts to gain more and more, more and more notoriety, their villains start to get more and more serious. Hmm. Okay. They go from the, the shitty villains to the top tier. It's yeah, kind of like that's kind of like you level up, right? Because yeah. I mean, when when you're you know you're small potatoes, not a lot of people are going to really go after you. Once you start to become really really important, now you know the 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 A team villains are starting to you know want want a piece of that. So yeah, I guess it's almost kind of like they'll level up with each subsequent arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And we have almost a week left um, as this, as this episode drops. Um, it's already funded, like we said. You're going to get your book. And, and you already have a, a plan for at least, you know, a few more story arcs, right? So this isn't going anywhere yeah. anytime no, soon. No, this will be going for a while. Yeah, I'm already working on the, the, the shelf for number three. And like I said, I've got number two pretty much wired out already. Um, and you have a, so you kind of started your own little publishing company too. Is that Zed Publishing? Or? Well, I wouldn't, I mean, calling it a publishing company, I think is, is giving it a lot more credit than it really should be right now. Okay. Um, right now. Yeah, I kinda, yeah. It was one of those things like when I first started doing this, I wasn't honestly a hundred percent sure if I should brand it as me, you know, as Jeff Zanilati, or if I should brand it as like a company or not even a company, okay. but like as a brand. And I yep. kind of came up with Zed Comics Original because I went through a couple extra things and I had something earlier and. I guess it got hacked and my Instagram went away. So I came up with this and fingers crossed it won't get hacked. But Zed Comics Original is basically the the brand that the comic falls under, right? So okay. in a perfect world and, and you know, someone said you're, you're trying to build the Zediverse and, and I like that. I wasn't yeah. thinking about it in those terms, but, but that right. would be really awesome to have it long-term become something that encapsulates more than one title, not just the Accidental Renegades, but other titles as well. That would mm-hmm. be the dream. Um, but I'm really starting small. You know, I, I tend to, the first Kickstarter was, was, Small funding, you know, not a ton of tiers because I want to make it manageable. Zed Comics right now is, you know, it's a small one-man show, so it's it's manageable. It's bite-sized. It's not trying to, you know, change the world one one book at a time, but trying to put out 
one book that is good and the next book that is better and the next book is better than that. And that kind of lockstep of each book is going to build on the one before it, but always be a little bit better so that people who support it are getting what they want. Awesome. That's, that's great. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Marvel or DC needs to worry right now. You know, I'm not, no, that's, they're new. They're losing no sleep over Zed Comics Original. That's okay. No, That's I right. always I'm just not, get not excited when I time. see <laughs> when I see indie publishers that I've never heard of. You know, I always get super excited because I'm, we get kind of sick at DC and Marvel at some points. Yeah, yeah. No, and else, you know, you know, you know. Someone actually asked me once. They're like, you know, would you, you know, would is your goal to like write or draw for Marvel or DC? And I was like, you know, on the one hand. If your goal is for people to see your work, that would be, that'd be awesome, right? Because like hundreds of thousands of people, if not depending on, you know, hundreds of, they have millions even, depending on what you're doing might actually be, you know, you know, immersed in your work, might get some experience with your work. But at the same time, I kind of say, when you do that, when you work for like one of the big two, you're playing with someone else's toys. And then at the end of the day, you got to put their toys back in, in their box, right? But when you're independent, they're your toys, they're your stories, and you do whatever you want. There's there's very little editorial oversight. There's very little corporate, you know, interference. If I want this character to do something, that's my story. I can do that. So, yeah, on the one hand, I think for most comic book people, like, they kind of, that's what they grew up on. That, that would be, like, their dream. Every athlete wants to play pro at some point until you realize you can't. Every artist wants to, you know, get to the big leagues. But realistically, knowing now what I know, I may be a great opportunity. I, I mean, I'm sure I would probably take advantage of it, but it comes with the downside. And the downside is you're not, you're really not telling your stories necessarily. You're telling your version of someone else's stories. And I think that's a lot different from what independent guys get to do. For sure. Um, well, I, if you keep this up, I think it's, it could be going places for sure. Um, I hope so. That's, that's the dream. Yeah. Yeah. We always get super excited to see, uh, see our guests get picked up by people for publishing and stuff like that. So, um, all right. So, you know, Jeff, we're, if we want to send our listeners and our followers to, you know, see all the stuff you're doing, where's the best place to follow you? Not your Instagram right, so, just got hacked, but some, some, no, the, well, the old one, dude, the old one, the old, that, that oh, one, the old Instagram got yeah, hacked. to heck with that. I don't even want, I don't even want No, the easiest thing for everyone to remember is just remember Zed comics original. So Instagram and Facebook is at Zed comics original on Twitter. It's the letter Z comics original. The other two are the word Zed. So, Zed Comics Original, Instagram and Facebook, the letter Z, Comics Original on Twitter. And then the website is zedcomicsoriginal.com where you can see some fan art, a lot of um, unique Zed Comics Original characters, and some sequential art as well. So appreciate the time and anyone who wants to check that stuff out. Accidental Renegades is on Kickstarter now. It ends on September 13th. So I encourage anyone to jump on, take advantage of it. Some really cool stretch goals. Um, like I say, a lot of stories have heart, a lot of stories have humor, and a lot of stories have action. Uh, but accidental renegades has all three. So I encourage anyone who's interested to take a look at that. There you go. So everybody out there, make sure to check the show notes down below. Cause I will have the link to the Kickstarter down there and make sure to go follow Jeff and his future endeavors after this. Cause I'm sure they're going to be great. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to come talk to us. Uh, the book looks great and uh, best of luck moving forward with everything. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. you guys are awesome. And we are back. Back to the other side. So go over to Kickstarter. Uh, give Jeff your money for Accidental Renegades. He's got a few days left there. Support mm-hmm. him. He's a good dude. The book looks great. Yeah, looks great. I know I'm, I backed it. So 
Sounds like Chris has too, so follow our lead. Uh, okay, comic news. Marvel has announced a new series alongside another anniversary. Oh my god. This time, it's the Wasp. <laughs> what? This time, wow, we're really, we're really going to the bottom of the toy chest. In 2023, we'll be celebrating 60 years in comics. We get a five-issue series titled Wasp. <laughs> my god. Uh, the series will follow a similar path as the recent Ant-Man series and will form from creative team writer Al Ewing and Cassia Nye. Uh, Nye. Uh, Al Ewing, great writer. Cassia is great on the art. I'm just, I'm not a Wasp fan. I mean, I'm not much of a Marvel fan. You can tell me if you're a Wasp fan. It's okay. I'm, Wasp is okay. But yeah. I, we'll talk about issue two of Ant-Man later. But like, I, I like the first two issues of the Ant-Man series. If it ends up being something I really enjoy, I could see jumping over to this because the creative team is similar and it's you know trying to do something similar and see if he can stick it with Wasp too. But it's not like I'm sitting here super excited about a Wasp book. Right. I think I'll wait till issue five of Ant-Man to decide whether I'm excited about the Wasp book. <laughs> yeah, but it's the anniversary, man. I, yeah. Yeah, listen, I'm... I am the Marvel fan. Even I'm just like, we get it. And everybody yeah. started the same year. Yeah, we understand. Just say uh, 60 years of Marvel and get it done with. <laughs> yep. And release a bunch of series under that. Uh, Comixology announced a new series coming soon um, to its unlimited service titled Blood Oath. Series written by Alex Segura and Rob Hart with art by Joe Eisma. Series said to be a horror twist on Prohibition era New York. Sounds sick. I have Amazon Prime, so I get this book for free. Um, although, don't subscribe to it because they'll charge you for the book, even though you have Amazon Prime. <laughs> I found that out. <laughs> so thanks. Thanks, Amazon Comixology, for screwing me once again. I Yeah, I also have Comixology Unlimited, and yeah. I'll be reading this because I'm reading a bunch of the stuff on there, but... There, there's always something about prohibition era New York that just it's like World War II. Like it's just that that scene, that that time period that's just interesting. It could yeah. be anything. And if you put prohibition New York, it's like aliens attack in prohibition New York. And they're like, okay, cool, let's do it. <laughs> cool, like, of yeah, course I'm gonna try it. it. Uh, so I, it. it's funny because I did go to the Prohibition Museum, which is in Savannah, Georgia, and pretty crazy stuff learning about all that but uh yeah i think that's going to be interesting like a horror aspect to it yeah it's just um, dude the way people dressed the the, the, the tommy the guns the yeah the yeah. cars are cool like everything about yeah. that era is just so awesome so yeah I'm, yeah I'm down for this uh rob liefeld wow this is strange and image comics are going to be releasing brigade and it seems that he'll also be introducing his new superhero universe in this title. Uh, the series is said to be a version of Superman that chooses to rule, rule the world instead of protect it. Nice, Rob. We've done this before. Yeah, this is very innovative stuff, Rob. I wonder how big the check is he got for doing this. Uh, well, you know, he lost all of his characters because, you know, the man yeah. going on Twitter all the time telling everybody else how to run businesses can't run his own shit. Um, yeah. Uh, if you listen to the show a long time, you know I don't have any. I don't like Rob Liefeld the person. I think his art is vastly overrated. Yeah. Um, and when you just go around like 
copying everybody else's stuff, it's not interesting to me anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I when when Millar does it and it's like, but he's got a story to tell. Yeah. Right. It's kind of interesting. Like there's stuff about it I can enjoy. But right. some of that early image stuff where it's just like Jim Lee's no longer doing X-Men, so he's gonna go to Image and do X-Men. Yeah. Like that's what Rob Liefeld's done his whole career, and I just don't care anymore. I, I yeah, not a huge Rob Liefeld fan either, so I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, I don't think he's a good person either. So I just yeah, I'd rather give my money to uh, an indie creator. <laughs> you know. Yeah, hundred percent. Sure. I mean, yeah. So this has been huge news across the internet, but I, just, I am I, I am surprised. I think it. the biggest news to me is Image is doing something with him. Oh, I mean, he's one of the co-creators of Image, so... Yeah. I think no matter what, unless he comes down and just like, Image is the worst, and fuck them, like... Yeah. They're gonna work with him, because they kind of have to. Yeah. But, yeah. I'll move on. <laughs> yeah. During last week's interview with Jim Mafood, uh, we had a conversation about Zest World Comics, and they announced that this week they're moving into an open beta phase for the platform. Uh, it's open beta phase comes new features like free comics, early access to those comics uh, for subscribers, virtual drawing sessions, invite only events, a crop of new creators joining into the fun. Uh, some of those people joining Zest World are uh, include Marquez, uh, Leanna Kangas, Alejandro Murillo, and Keith Champagne. So, you know, I'm a huge Leanna Kangas fan, so that's pretty sick. Yeah, and uh, talking with Jim on and off air, like I just. I love the idea of what Zestworld's doing. Um, it's Substack, but more geared towards comic artists and them being able to do stuff. Um, and, you know, there's features in there that some people find controversial, but I think what they're doing is cool and they're really supporting artists across the board. Um, and, yeah, that's a good list of new creators to bring on board. I mean, the list that's there already was already impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then adding this is even better. So hopefully the open beta phase goes good and they can go full blown. So anybody can sign up because I like what they're doing over there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it seems like a cool thing for artists to take advantage of. Um, and yeah, I'll be checking it out. All right. So what did we read the past? What have I read the past few weeks? Um, I can just, I, so, I mean, there's a lot of comics like DC and stuff. A lot, of, I actually a lot of the like stuff I'm subscribed to, I'm a little behind on because I've gotten a, an abundance of Kickstarters in, uh, which is great. Um, but I did read Full Circle uh, by you know Alex Ross. I can't gush enough about this amazing book. Um, I mean, it, it, just like even having it as like a coffee table book, just for the art alone, like. Some of these Did you pages. take the sleeve off too and see like just the four? The uh, oh yeah, like the the hardcover. It's so nice. Yeah, yeah, just the four. There's just a four, like shiny four, when you take the sleeve off. But uh, everything about this book was awesome. All my favorite things about the Fantastic Four in one book. Uh, if you're a fan of classic Fantastic Four, even new Fantastic Four, because this isn't too wordy like an old school comic, because Alex Ross just does an amazing job. Um, it's de- it's not painted like his stuff, but man, the pencils are absolutely astonishing. 
The colors are very retro wave, which I think is sick. Um, yeah. retro, retro wave with like green added. So it has like a, almost like a nineties feel to it, but, uh, just an amazing. And, and I know Alex Ross released a video too, like almost like a little documentary about like the creating of it and talking about Jack Kirby and stuff like that. So this is awesome. I was, I'm not a big fantastic four fan. No, Mike's much bigger than I am. Um, mm-hmm. but I love the design of the suits in this. I think it's my favorite fantastic four suit design. Yeah, very um, cool. which is it's one of those suits that like it's so simple, but like when someone along the lines of Alex Ross comes about, who's a master designer as well as artist, and just adds those little touches, it's so great. And then my favorite part of the whole book was when they got the new suits and they're like comic sciencing the hell out of it with the negative energy and everything yeah and grim's just like so like i still just get underpants mm-hmm. like yeah that was awesome this is going to do it for you and then like later yeah. on reed has a little like thing on his arm he's like do my underpants do that yeah right. it's so funny <laughs> I, yeah, love I love it, it was a great yeah. everybody should pick it up it's really good uh for those of you who know i'm a dark souls fan souls born fan uh, Zach Sharp on Kickstarter did a second printing of Lodran and Beyond. It is six stories related to Dark Souls characters and Soul, uh, 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 Bloodborne characters. Really cool, and it came with like this awesome sticker pack. If you're a fan of these characters or these video games, by all means, check this out. Um, you should definitely be reading this. It's a lot of cool stories, and each story has like a description of who those characters are in the universe, which is really good because the lore isn't really explained in the comic and the video games. You kind of have to figure it out for yourself. Um, I got a nice Kickstarter from uh, Jordan Thomas. I have a anthology sci-fi book that he wrote. Um, but I also, with that, I got my weird work issues uh, one through two in the mail. Issue three is on Kickstarter right now. Uh, the art by uh, Shaky Kane, really amazing stuff. You would love the art. I don't know if you're reading this, Chris. I never um, heard of it. It's it's wild. Um, it's like a sci-fi book. Uh, I know the third issue has a variant cover by Mr. Jeff Darrow's um, that does uh, Shallon Cowboys. So it's amazing. Uh, the characters that you meet in this city in this um, in this like futuristic uh dystopian era it's a really cool story and it's finishing with issue three you're gonna love the art i think you should really check it out um just like that's some of it right there it's pretty cool stuff yeah weird work it's called um and then i got my other issue of the masters in the mail which is like uh a 90s book um and i talked about it before because i think i had the other issue but this is like this is the extra book they had. It's like a, you can't see cause my stickers are in there and stuff. And then they put like, there's like a maze on the back. Like they used to do with comics and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. And the master is really cool. It's like a, like a nineties Avengers justice league style, uh, indie book. Um, and then some of the like DC stuff I got to, uh, Batman fortress, number four, Gary Wood, Derek Robertson. Um, I don't know if you've read that one, but, uh, of course I read it. There's a squirrel green lantern in it. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a new squirrel green lantern. Uh was super pumped to see that. That was kind of crazy. 
And then Detective Chimp has to help them find the fortress because, and he finds out it's at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, the Fortress of Solitude. That is not the Fortress of Comic News. Um, so that was a really good issue. I thought it was one of my favorite issues out of that series yeah. so far. Bringing back Detective Chimp, always love a good Detective Chimp. I love where he ends up yeah. in this version of the DC World. Great issue, yeah. Uh, DC Mech number two, Kenny Porter, Baltimore Rivas. I don't know if you talked about that one already, but that was another good issue. That's a fun series. Uh, we didn't. I read it this week, and um, okay, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, they basically need realize they need to team up with Superman um, and find some nth metal to upgrade. It's a fun issue. Uh, Iron Fist number five, Alyssa Wong, Michael Yeej on the art. Uh, Iron Fist brother Gigi. Uh, tricks everyone into a battle so then he can just go through the portal to Kunlun uh, because the final piece of so this evil god he's resurrecting is there and then Loki shows up to talk to him at the end and Loki's like oh I like what you're doing so some weird shit's going down uh, Batman White Knight Red Hood number two I know you read this one uh, Sean Murphy Clay McCormick on the art um, yeah it's a good issue. Uh, it's basically gets him why, how, like what ignites him to become the Red Hood again and getting some help from others. Uh, so that's a nice origin. Yeah, which sets up where he ends up in the last issue of Beyond the White Knight, um, where he shows up at the end. So if you remember that issue, I know it's been a little while, but he shows up in the last couple pages, and then that sets up this, and now uh the next issue is going to be beyond the white knight again. So I enjoyed the little uh, two issue thing. And then Superman war world apocalypse, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson, lots of different artists on this book. I wasn't reading action comics before this, um, but they do kind of give you a nice catch up on like what's been going on. So, uh, so that was good. Um, I like the issue. I thought it was a cool ending and it's going to be continued in action comics. I think. And one of the best covers of the oh, yeah. year. The cover is amazing. Yeah. Um, just a couple of things. I haven't finished the new Swamp thing yet. I'm waiting to like sit down and take the time to read that. Uh, <laughs> Justice Warriors, I'm caught up. Uh, one through three. It's getting a little crazy. Uh, there's still, like a little heavy-handed political stuff, but this this uh, this book is hilarious and like pretty... It's like gory at times when it's like supposed to be funny and there's like a lot of... Sit- uh, satirical shit going on so i think you'd like justice warriors the art is amazing too um i was trying to grab the artist really quick so everybody could hear a shout out uh this is the ahoy comics book by matt Bores and ben clarkson on the art mm-hmm. uh and then i i finished uh batman the night number eight i think you talked about this one already i didn't because i'm so far behind that series okay so Basically, he uh, this is like the introduction to the um, someone visits him from the League of Shadows and like is way better at fighting than him. And he basically gets an invite saying like your Raza Ghoul will like see you now. So he's going to last couple issues, I think, are going to take place there, which you can't do a Batman origin story without the League of Shadows. Right. So correct. Uh, and then the the book that really surprised me um, this is uh, Ultraman, the mystery of Ultra 7, number one. This is, uh, this is the Ultraman book pu- published by Marvel. Uh, Kyle Higgins wrote it, and, uh, and Matt Groom, and then uh, Davide Tinto on the art. 
And then there's like some other mini like uh, stories in the back about like how to like safety measures for uh, avoiding kaiju, like when they're attacking a city. Uh, I don't know much about Ultraman. I just know he's a you know he's a giant Power Ranger that fights kaiju's. So that's all I really need to know. There's some other stuff going on, but you get a lot of um, the original Ultraman, some new guy that took up the mantle, and some story behind there, and some fighting of kaiju and and things like that. Uh, Kyle Higgins killed it. I really I really like that. And obviously, he, I mean, he's got Radiant Black coming out. Um, so maybe they saw Radiant Black and they're like, this dude should be writing. Ultraman, because <laughs> there's a lot of similarities between those characters, which is not a bad thing. I mean, you know, I enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. And I, I had some books I, I still need to read, like uh, Shang-Chi, Radiant Black, Shaolin Cowboy. Still haven't read those. Um, some other stuff I'm really behind on. So I got a ton, so I'm going to try to like jump through a couple and then talk more deeply about the ones I really want to talk to. But uh, Mech Strike, Monster Hunters number three, good issue it's just a fun series um mm-hmm. thanos gets involved so obviously i'm all about it um justice league versus legion of superheroes number five um once again fun series at the end are you still reading this or did you give up on it which which one justice league versus legion of superheroes i uh, no. so yeah i had that i saw that came out and i just it, the book's just too wordy for me at sometimes i just okay yeah, I was waiting to. I think I'm waiting for it to wrap up because I think it's been delayed too. It hasn't been coming out every month, has it? It got delayed for a little bit, and then it's back on. The past two months have been on schedule, so okay. We'll see. I think that's what happened. Does that that fell through? Um, also, I didn't because I had to go back and look. Issue four, because I'm getting it digitally, didn't pop up properly when I was looking. And yeah. then issue five came in. I was like, wait, when did issue four come out? And I went back and that one was on schedule. So maybe it was just my brain. Maybe comics allergy fucked up. I don't know. No, because I, I lost track of it too, somehow digitally. Just didn't make yeah. sense. So I think it took a few months off. You're correct. But um, I still really enjoy this book, though. Art's really good. It, I mean, it's funny to me reading it sometimes because it is very uh, Bendis. Uh, and the end of this issue, we find out who's behind it all. Uh, it's still the only disappointing part is like this is supposed to be about the gold lantern and there's not a whole lot of talk about the gold lanterns and you have one more issue to fix yeah. that so that's kind of where i was like I, I think that was it too we weren't getting enough gold lantern talk. yeah so we'll see what the last issue brings but if you don't explain to me what the gold lantern is i'm gonna be like this is a waste of my fucking time mm-hmm. um Ant-Man number two is actually about the irredeemable Ant-Man, which is the Robert Kirkman Ant-Man. So, oh. like, my favorite Ant-Man. <laughs> cool. And it takes place during Secret Invasion. Um, really good, fun story. And similar to the first issue, someone from the future, possibly an Ant-Man, um, <laughs> is looking for other Ant-Men for this adventure, and he gets sucked into this thing. Um, the All-Nighter number nine. Uh, one, the, the, I love that series. It's been so great. Uh but yeah, they save Dracula. And there's nice. also stuff going on in the background. Yeah, but I just, dropped yeah, off I, of that one. I gotta get back into it. Yeah, I love that book so much. I look for, That's the the most I look forward to any Comixology original book. Where like, I would actually, if it was being printed, I would pay for it, hands down. Wow. Um, Breakout number three was really good. It was all about their plan and the space jail. 
and how they actually go through and do everything. Um, do, do, Radiant Black, number 17. Radiant Black's great. Everybody should be reading Radiant Black. Um, yeah, I still have to read that. Let's see. Captain America Symbol of Truth, number four, was really good. Um, it ends with, so like Sam tries to infiltrate Wakanda because something's going on between Wakanda and what his mission is. Mm-hmm. And it ends with Black Panther finding him and being like, what the fuck are you doing infiltrating Wakanda? <laughs> um, Forever Forward, number one. We talked about this like a month ago because we had yeah. Zach on the book, but I read it again in print. Book's awesome. Everybody should go check it out. Scout Comics doing some cool stuff. Hell yeah, there. Avengers Forever, number eight, which is an issue you might like because they're going to different dimensions to create this like Avengers of the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And in this multiverse, that's Thor, but he's not worthy. And like Milner just follows him around, like taunting him that he's not worthy. Oh. And the, uh, the masters of evil, the multiverse masters of evil destroyed his planet and everything in it. Okay. Including um, the iron fist place. Uh fuck. Where's the place oh, that he goes to uh, fight the dragon? Yeah, Kung Lun. Kung Lun. So yeah. they destroy that too. And oh, he shit. ends up finding one of the gods from Kung Lun who wants him to come and like train with him to become the, the next Iron Fist. Hmm. And he trains with him, he becomes really great and like learns martial so it's Thor who knows martial arts. And then he ends up finding out that the god like tricked him and was just like, no, I just wanted to make you more powerful so you could help these guys. But the master's already killed the dragon, so you can't take the power of the Iron Fist. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, But it was a really great story. Um, Amazing Fantasy 1000. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, a bunch of really great like short stories. Uh, my two favorites that I'll talk about real quick are the Hickman one, which made me want Hickman to write, really want to write Spider-Man now, because it's Spider-Man from our dimension going to basically the Council of Spider-Men oh, and shit. like discussing the the Parker Luck situation, mm-hmm. and then, like the other Spider-Man just like fuck with them, and they're all like, no, like we don't have that. Like you, you're something's wrong with you. And then in the end, we're like, no, we're just kidding, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh the Neil Gaiman one was really sweet because it was a it was him as a kid reading Spider-Man and then he meets Spider-Man oh, okay. and um has this whole thing. And then it's autobiographical in nature because this is like what actually happened to him, other than the meeting Spider-Man part. And then when he gets older and he's working in comics, him and um who drew the story with him? The guy who drew Preacher. Oh, Steve something. I'm bad with names today. Yeah, I can't think of either. Steve uh Steve McNiven. McNiven, yep. So McNiven draws it as well. And the end of the story is him getting to meet Ditko with McNiven. Oh. That's and cool. in the yeah. It's a really great story. But you know, good anthology for a fake one thousand book. Yeah. <laughs> for real. Fake. And then Knights of the Fifth Dimension number three was really great. Um, I love this book. It's just all about like Jack Kirby and the fact that this comic world is another dimension. And the guy who they go to like 
try to help them figure out what's going on is basically like the super fan. Like his basement is filled with every thing that's Knights of the Fifth Dimension. And it's all like based that's on awesome. Justice League. So like they have they don't even like pull punches. They literally have the Super Knights lunchbox. They oh have God. the Knights Cosmic Crucifix. Like all this weird stuff in here. Amazing. And uh, that's when like the the monsters from the other dimension come and attack them. Um, really do recommend this book for a lot of people. Uh, I think it's really well done. And then the ones I'll get a little bit further into. So another Comicsology original, New America number one. Um, kind of alert on this one. This was a very very political book. <laughs> okay. Um, it starts off with Jan six. And like it oh. literally shows Trump rallies and stuff in it, but then it quickly uh-huh. gets away from that because that's so that's the starting point to say like that's what fractured America, and now there's this new version of America that like seceded. Okay, and we the story is based in that world, and something's going on in that world where the guy who's running it, his brother, is kind of a not like an ex-soldier, but a little bit of a scumbag. He did something, but we don't quite know what. Mm-hmm. And we get to see like kind of what's happening in this new America. And then uh, the way the issue ends is the little brother of the president um, ends up meeting with an FBI agent from old America. Oh. Um, and uh, there's something there. So the first four pages are very, very like in your face today politics. So the warning on that. But once you get past that, I really enjoy the, the setting of the book. And mm-hmm. the ending intrigued me enough where I want to keep going with it. Even if I did cool. think it was a little in your face. Yeah. Minor threats. Number one. Um, I don't know if you just didn't get to it, but if you, I have it, I just haven't read it. Yeah. I bought the physical copy. Yep. Okay. Cause you need to read it. It's literally to put it in DC terms. It's somebody killed Robin. Okay. And Batman went insane. And is going to kill every villain until he finds who did it. That's awesome. And now these villains, like these shitty villains in a bar, have to team up to save themselves. Because they can't even leave the bar without being attacked by this Batman. That's amazing. Um, It's really well done. The humor's great. A lot of comic booky stuff. Awesome book. Um, Two more, I promise. Damage Control. first, First published book, too. First independent, like yeah, first own. independent. Yeah, he's yep. done other stuff for other yeah, things. It's his own own title, though. But yeah, I, I highly recommend that book, especially if you're into the same kind of stuff that we are with shitty villains and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Damage control number one. I always liked the idea of damage control, um, and this is very much in line with all that. It's about a guy who goes to work for damage control, and he ends up working in the the mail room, and he has to go to the the I think it was the thirteenth floor to deliver mail and the thirteenth floor is a pocket dimension. Uh, of course. <laughs> and he has to deliver an obnoxio the clown cake to a guy who's is his birthday. But because the dimension's so big, he delivers it um melting. And then the only way he can finish his day is if uh Nightcrawler say or helps him. Um Damage Control is a really goofy concept. I really enjoy it. It's a fun spin on the Marvel Universe. If you don't know, mm-hmm. it's just 
these guys who clean up after the superheroes. Um, awesome. When they destroy everything. And then my last book is public domain. Number three, um, this book or this issue settles around like the actual court case between the guy who created public domain and the company that now owns it. And the short version of it is the guy who created it. The, uh, the artist basically strikes a deal um, he takes a little bit of a uh, pay uh, to help his kids, but he also gets the rights to publish comics while the company can create movies. Oh, huh. um, so it was a cool kind of twist on that. And the fact that he's just so happy, he's like, I just wanted to create more of these comics. I didn't really care about all the other stuff. So yeah, I like the way that story went. Awesome. Um, so Mike, that is everything I read this week. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Fortress Ricker at Twitter. Where can they find you and or the show? Oh, you can find me at Fortress Chris on Twitter. And you can find the show at Fortress Comics underscore on Twitter, as well as FortressComicNews.com. Uh, I want to remind everybody to give us the reviews on whatever podcast you use. Like, subscribe, share, comment down below on the YouTube version. And if you want to go to extra mile, Patreon.com slash Fortress Comics. Um, thank you all so much for listening this week and we will see you all here next week. <laughs>